build your own community, your own super fans and followers, friendships, you know. Yes, and that's where the magic happens. In a lot of the spaces that my clients and listeners are in, that's especially powerful because we do sometimes struggle to have our voice or message heard or advertise our products through traditional means. Business owners in these spaces lean into the referrals and the networking and the building relationships with people in order to get the word out about their product. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Come Again. I'm excited about this episode because 21 is a special number to me for lots of reasons. So in honor of the 21st episode, I'm going to kick us off with 21 fun facts about the number 21. After that, we're going to dive into our special guest interview. Today, I have Becky Samuels, who is a community manager, and she's going to be talking all about how we can use our groups and our online community to generate leads and convert sales, especially if we are in a sensitive space. Now, I know there's a lot of extra things that go into making a group a safe space. So we're going to dive into all that with Becky after the intro. So stay tuned, get comfy. We have a fun mix of mathsy things, techie things, woo-woo things, and crazy coincidence things. I searched movie titles, databases, library catalogs, and here it is. 21 facts about 21. Number one, the ancient card game in which players try to collect cards whose values add up to 21 is known as 21. It is an ancient card game, but it is played still today all over the world in the modern variant known as Blackjack, which interestingly enough is the focus of my next fun fact. 21 is the name of a heist movie released in 2008, inspired by the true story of the MIT Blackjack team. They were a group of university students who used card counting techniques to beat casinos at Blackjack. I have seen that movie and I enjoyed it. Number three, the amount of dots on a six-sided die adds up to a grand total of 21. 21 grams is also apparently the weight of the soul. The physical weight was calculated by a physician called Duncan McDougall he measured the body weight of six patients yes just six before and after their deaths this was done in the early 1900s he he came to the conclusion that widely criticized conclusion that 21 grams is the weight of the soul which leads me to number four 21 movie titles with 21 in the title the first one is 21 grams next we have 21 jump street 21 bridges 21 days 21 days under the sky 21 days together 21 hours at munich 21 brothers 21 and over 21 thunder the day that lasted 21 years dead at 21 table number 21 catch 21 Roll number 21, September 21, 2021. Yes, the name of this movie is a date. The uh, murderer lives at number 21. That is our 18th movie with the number 21 in the title. Number 19, Psalm 2021. Number 20, Berlin Tunnel 21. And number 21 is the movie called 21. And in fact, there are two movies called 21. One is written as a number and the other is written out as a word. How many of those have you seen? How many of those do you want? A couple of the plot synopsis sounded pretty interesting. So I have a few more things on my watch. Here's some nerdy facts. The total number of Bitcoin to be released is 21 million. 
The standard port number for an FTP connection is port 21. That's a TCP IP port number when, when you're connecting to the server by FTP, port 21. 21 is the eighth number in the Fibonacci sequence. And it's also a triangle number, which means uh, it's a sum of the first six whole numbers, which if you're paying attention, you will know is kind of a double up fact from the dice one. So yes, it is a triangle number because if you lay it out in dots, you're gonna have like one dot and then two dots, then three dots in a, in a row and it'll make a triangle of dots. I also read that 21 is a Blum integer. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Bloom integer maybe. I have no idea what that is. Wiki wasn't much help, it said. A Bloom in, it is a Bloom integer since it is a semi-prime with both its prime factors being Gaussian primes. Again, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, I don't know what a Gaussian prime is, but 21's a Blum integer because it's semi-prime with both its prime factors being Gaussian primes. I mean, just, you know, the, the more. And let's keep going on that thread. Number 21 is quite a lot of different kinds of fancy numbers, apparently. A Blum integer, a Fibonacci number, a triangular number, we covered those. It's also a composite number, an octagonal number, a Padovan number, which I think is something like a Fibonacci number, like it's named after a person who came up with a, a formula, a pattern of, of counting numbers. So a Padovan number, a Harshad number, no idea what that is. It's also a whole number. That just means it has no fractional parts, no decimal points. Also, it's a, a natural number and it is an integer number. 21 is the atomic number of the chemical element scandium. Discovered in 1879, scandium is classified as a rare earth element. 21 features in sports a fair bit. I discovered a game of badminton ends when a player reaches 21 points. In table tennis before 2001, they changed the rules in, in 2001, 21 points are required to win a game of table tennis. And in three on three basketball, the game ends once either team has reached 21 points. A shape with 21 sides is called, oh my goodness, I, 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 have, to, I have to ask Google how to say this. Icosikai Henagon. Alright, there you go. Icosa. Icosikai Henagon. Icosikai Did I get it right? Icosikai Henagon. Icosikai Henagon. Icosikai Henagon. So that's what we call a shape with 21 sides. We are getting close to 21. Fat 21. Who's been keeping track? We've only got seven or eight left to go, I think. So number 13 or 14 or wherever up to, there are 21 or worth 21 shillings in a guinea, a form of currency that was used in Great Britain in the 1600s all the way till the 1800s when they were replaced by the pound. So the British coin called a guinea was made up of 21 shillings. And until the 1970s, shillings still existed and there were 20 shillings in a pound and 12 pence in one shilling. Yeah, it was, a, it was a confusing. I do, I can't keep track either. In tarot, the number 21 is related to the world card. One of the many meanings of the world card is to have the world at your feet. There are 21 trump cards of the tarot deck if, and there are actually 21 cards in the tarot deck if you do not consider the fool to be a proper trump card. The summer and winter solstices both take place usually on June 21 and December 21, respectively. So there's the longest and shortest days of the year fall on the 21st. The 21 gun salute is a military honor given to royalty or world leaders. It's where 21 guns fired to honor heads of state. And this tradition goes all the way back to when we used to fire cannonballs, apparently. The reason for the 21 shots is because that was the amount required to sufficiently empty 
your gun to signify, I guess, I come in peace. It would take far too long to reload and be ready to fight because I just fired all of my bullets. That's where that comes from. 21 is also traditionally seen as the age of adulthood in many, many countries across the world. Not all of them, but kind of no one really knows why. Theories range from it being a mathematical thing, it's the product of two lucky numbers, three and seven. That's actually one of my reasons for loving 21, because I also love the numbers three and seven, and then you times them together and you get 21. And also 21 has another good thing that I'll tell you about in a minute, for me personally. But yeah, theories are, it could be a mathematical thing, could be a medical thing, because for many centuries, 21 would actually be seen as kind of middle age, or at least the age, the age at which, uh, if you go beyond it, you were considered to have had good fortune. A lot of people throw big parties at 21. It's, it's sometimes the age of majority or age of consent in different places, which leads me into our last fact. This one just kind of uh, amused me. In the US, when you reach 21, you're legally allowed to purchase and consume alcohol, right? But it doesn't stop there. There's also the 21st Amendment of the US Constitution, which negated the effects of the 18th Amendment, which was put in place to prohibit alcohol. So the, the 21st Amendment is the amendment that ended prohibition. And 21 is the age you have to be to drink. What a fun little synchronicity. I like it. And that is almost the end of the list. Fact number 21 about the number 21 is that my birthday is the 21st. Yay, that's why I love that number. So I looked up a couple of other fun things that happened on February 21, my birthday, and here they are. In 1972, President Richard Nixon embarked to China. Some places say he left on that day, some people say he arrived on that day. This historic visit ended a 21-year estrangement between China and the United States. Also fun synchronicity. Some fun people were born on the February 21st besides just me, and that is Alan Rickman, English actor, who you probably know as Snape, Nina Simone, American singer-songwriter and pianist, and Malcolm X. He wasn't actually born on this day. He died on February the 21st in 1965. He was assassinated. Someone else who died on the 21st was, uh, was Billy Graham, internationally prominent evangelist. He died at the age of 99. Also on the 21st of February, Karl Marx published his Communist Manifesto, in 1848. Steve Fossett became the first person to fly solo across the Pacific Ocean in a balloon. In 1995, the world's first railway journey took place in Wales with the world's first full-size railway steam locomotive in 1804, and Boston was granted a charter to become a city on February 21. So there we go. That's 21 facts about 21. Just, just for the fun of it. You, you come, come again. again. Come, come again. again. Come again. You do what? Well. Come again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Hello, Becky. Thank you for joining me on Come Again. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Hi, Georgia. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I've seen you doing some fantastic work with online communities lately. And I know that a lot of my listeners, they have either free groups or paid groups. Some of them are doing well with them. Some of them are struggling. And there's quite a few extra hurdles that people face with groups when they are in sensitive or controversial industries. So thank you for agreeing to come on and share your brain with us for the next little while. Of course, I'm excited. 
So let's introduce you to my listeners. Becky is an online community expert who helps brands and small business owners build and successfully run profitable community groups online. She's been doing this since 2018, and she is a meta-certified community partner and trainer. What does that mean? So I've done their certification program for the community management. They released the program in summer of 2020. And I think I took the test like within two weeks of them releasing it. And then this past November, December, I did the, the meta like trainer certification program for community management. Right. So does that mean you're authorized to teach other people how to run communities on Meta's behalf? Yes, I am. Yeah. Wow, cool. Okay. Yes. And you've also worked with some really big brands like ClickFunnels and Jasper.ai, formerly Jarvis, formerly, <laughs> what was the other one? Conversion. Conversion.ai. Yes. <laughs> had, some, had some fun name stories with that. I do love that tool though. If anyone who doesn't know, that is a copywriting tool that helps expand your sentences and paragraphs uh, into full blog posts and the reverse can help you summarize and dot point things. It's really quite cool. So tell yeah, me how, is. tell me how <laughs> you got involved with ClickFunnels and Jasper, these, these big names in our online space. Uh, so ClickFunnels, actually, I just kind of fell into it. They were looking for moderators. The group was like 90,000 members. They had no structure. They needed, you know, a team. I'd had the experience from doing paid and unpaid groups before. So I was there for a little over two years. Awesome. Yeah, it worked out. And, and being there, like helping, you know, grow my own business and experience and everything, especially with a large group like that. And then Jasper, once I got in there and saw, I was like, they, they need, they need someone managing their group because. Well, it grew really fast, didn't it? In the last, what, six, 12 months. 50,000 members in a year. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned before both paid and free groups. We're both marketers and we kind of see where these groups fit into people's ecosystems in terms of attracting clients or nurturing and retaining clients. But for anybody who is sort of new to the power of groups, can you tell me about the difference between the strategy of having a free one versus a paid one? Yeah. So the strategy like for the free group is, could be used for, you know, getting daily leads selling your offers, whether it's digital or, you know, a physical product, it could be for what your hobbies, if you wanted to, um, which we see a lot of those for real estate. It's really good to get one for the neighborhoods because so many people are, you know, moving in out of different areas and stuff. Now those are helpful. And then using the free group to, to take those leads to build uh, either paid program course, monthly membership, uh, monthly coaching, so many different things you could do. So the paid group strategy works really well for business owners that have some sort of product or service that would benefit from kind of take your interaction with your customers into this ongoing virtual space where you can continue to upsell them or just support them in what they've already purchased from you. Yeah, exactly. And then having them in the group is, you know, is a way to really serve the people that are in there and build your own community, your own super fans and followers, friendships, you know, 
Yes. And that's where the magic happens in a lot of the spaces that my clients and listeners are in. That's especially powerful because we do sometimes struggle to have our voice or message heard or advertise our products through traditional means. There's a lot of extra hoops to jump through sometimes with words we can and can't say. So I have seen that a lot of business owners in these spaces lean into the referrals and the networking and the building relationships with people in order to get the word out about their product. Tell me then a little bit about how a business, let's say they've agreed it's a great idea to have a group. They've got a free one. They are using that to try to get some leads, like you mentioned, and they have the paid community. That's perhaps a a addendum or an extension of the coaching program they're running or the course that they teach or whatever it is. Tell me how they can grow this group. How can they make the most of it? So they can either grow it organically or they can grow it with paid ads. If you do paid ads, you always have to have, you know, lead magnet in between. You can't just do an ad to a group. Organically, you can leverage other people's groups. Basically, just by going in and building relationships in the comments, by posting, not necessarily going in, you know, promoting yourself. Uh But just giving advice and stuff like that. And then also at the same time, I was even doing organically, I would still have a lead magnet because you can grow your group and then you can grow an email list at the same time. Uh Because that's another important thing like about having a group is is building that email list at the same time. So a lead magnet here, you're talking about some kind of freebie, some kind of downloadable usually, but an offer that is going to attract the type of people that you want in your group. Once they download that, you follow up with the email delivery. Here's your download. Also join our group if you want more support. Is that generally how that works? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing is to optimize your personal profile. So, you know, cause when you, when you go into groups and, and you help people, then a lot of times they'll look at your profile and if ah. it doesn't say what you do or, you know. Okay. Then- so this is a bit like going to a networking event in real life and wearing your logo all over your back or, or starting yeah. up conversations at the water cooler about some uh-huh. problem that you solved, right? Handing out your card. Yeah. So the equivalent of that (laughs) online is to go into other spaces where you'll find your people are hanging out in other people's groups. Besides just groups, I guess, in the comments of certain pages or certain ads, even just wherever you can find your people, they're going to then click on your profile if you've said something interesting. Right. Exactly. Yes. And then you want them to be able to find some lead magnet or some link to your group so that you don't lose them once they've been interested in who you are. Amazing. Okay. So can you give me some, any insider tips, any lesser known features maybe of groups that we should be using? One thing I, um, people use the guides, but I don't feel like they use them strategically to where you can kind of serve and teach at the same time. And if so, if you set up the guides, kind of like a value ladder in a way to where you have your, you know, your welcome, and then you can have your free offer in there and information, but kind of leads to whatever your next offers are. I think mm-hmm. the guides, if they're used that way, would be really helpful. Yeah, I can see how powerful that would be because if you're promoting your group organically paid or the ways we just mentioned, someone joins, then 
they have this sort of path step-by-step step laid out for them and you're more likely going to be able to lead someone into your low ticket offer or book a call with me mm-hmm. whatever it, it is for your buyer's journey you're saying try to weave that into the guides feature of the group yeah exactly Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. I'm going to ask you some questions now that are more specifically related to controversial topics. So I know that in sensitive groups, sometimes members are uncomfortable sharing what they want to talk about. You know, if you're in it, if it's a relationship counseling group or something about neurodiversity in married couples and dealing with those challenges or about recovering from sexual trauma or finding your, whatever it is, people aren't always comfortable uh, wearing that as a badge, I suppose, the fact that they're in this group in the first place or, or even their name being attached to some of the things that they're speaking about in the group. So I've seen that Facebook has come out with some tools to help make that a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have the visibility of the group, whether it's open or not. And also the new anonymous questions feature, which I think uh, has got some pros and cons. So can you tell me what you think about open groups, public versus private, and the anonymous questions versus people needing to stand behind their comments? So if it's anything that is going to be sensitive information, I would definitely do a private group because on the public groups, you're not really protected because everyone can see what's in the group because it's public. I always say go private unless it's going to be a group that's, you know, on puppies or (laughs) I mean, just something, you know, cooking or something that's not like sensitive topic, Mm -hmm. then I do private. And then the anonymous posting, I've seen it like in other groups, but as an admin, I have not encountered that one. And I believe that the admin can see who, who's actually posting. Yes, that's my understanding of it as well. So in the past, I've seen that a lot of my clients and my students who have groups of their own, they would kind of facilitate this process manually they would say hey if anybody wants to say something but you're too shy send a message to a moderator Mm -hmm. and then we'll post on your behalf so it's very similar to that except the person can do it directly from inside the group and it's just a little bit more a bit simpler for someone on the admin side rather than dealing with that in your messenger inbox it's all there as part of your group and that makes a lot of people much more comfortable to have discussions and I think that's kind of the crux of these communities it's having conversations with your audience and you want them to feel comfortable to do so yeah for sure also we want them to actually show up and engage which sometimes is difficult to make happen can you tell me a little bit about how to encourage people to post in a group and reply and keep it alive that's so true that's one of the number one complaints Mm -hmm. I, I always say like just test different things I test you know doing polls you can do like an ask me anything. One of the easiest ones is like asking a question and then have them answer with a GIF or an emoji or something that's not going to take a lot of, you know, energy or whatever to really like put yourself out there to, uh, to interact. Uh, yeah. It, it sounds like when you're at an event, imagine a physical event at your business, at your studio, at your clinic, whatever it is, you've got some kind of open day. 
when the vibe is a bit dull and a bit dead, you want to start with the easy bits. You know, you want to start saying mm-hmm. like, like turn to the person next to you and tell them your name or something <laughs> before you then start moving into who wants to raise their hand and tell me about some experience they've had of yada, yada, yada. So yeah. the equivalent for that online looks like what? Yep. Roll calls. What country are you from? Getting to know you. Pizza mm-hmm. or tacos. <laughs> what was your first job? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And so these are <laughs> worth doing, even though they feel a little bit surface level, they're useful yeah. to, to get the energy going. Yeah. And it helps with that sense of community, I think, and feeling comfortable, really. Yeah. So what if someone has a totally dead group? Like maybe it used to be quite the place to be but during the pandemic the business owner got busy and whatever else has happened and so they've got this group it does have a large number of members but they feel like whenever they post no one really sees it because the group is sort of dusty do you have any tactics for waking up a dead group yeah I actually one of them I would suggest you know starting to message your members and just check in on them Mm, okay directly yeah directly just messaging check in. How are you doing? Do you have any questions? Do you need any help? You know, how can I serve you? Doing that will help like with, with the algorithm and people realizing, oh, okay. So there is stuff going on here. And then also, even if you're not getting anyone commenting, still just posting, go, you know, live. Now we have reels in there. I would try a reel Mm. and see how that goes too. Okay. So you touched on something really interesting just there before which was even if no one's replying post anyway I I feel like a lot of business owners intend to do that but very quickly we feel when when there's crickets in reply it's hard to keep stepping out there you feel like you're annoying people maybe or or whatever or you're doing something wrong you must be boring uh but there are more lurkers than we realize who actually are reading these things and not engaging in them so What's, tell me, what should people expect? What's normal? What's a benchmark for amounts of comment and replies you get and how long it takes maybe to re-engage a group? How long do they have to persevere talking to seemingly themselves? <laughs> That's such a good question because I feel like with groups too, like they can go up and down, you know? Like for an example, the Jasper group was like super busy and then the algorithm almost like plummeted on it. But in the, in my Facebook partner group, like there were other group members that have larger groups were experiencing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes the smaller groups, it's harder. And also depends on if you have the right, your right audience in there and everything too. So I remember when I started my group and I had like a hundred members, I think, and it was like highly engaged and I started getting more people in and it got a little quieter for not, you know, whatever reasons, like we never know, like, don't give up. You just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think the the mark to where the engagement really starts hitting is between like 700 and a thousand members. Okay. And that's when you kind of see things shift and change. And it's always good to check your insights because if you really look at the, what the numbers are, you can go and see, okay, well, how many comments and reactions do I have? Because all of those matter you probably realize that you're doing better than you think you are. That's really helpful. So what about, you you kind of touched a few times on having the right audience. And people often put the the questions feature as a gateway to ensure they are attracting the right kind of people. 
Do you have any tips there? How should we use that tool that we have in order to maximize on our lead gen and our group quality? I always recommend to ask at least one question that's going to help give you ideas for content. Ooh, clever. So you know like what kind of help people are looking for Hmm. because content is one of the other problems like what content to post or what everyone wants to learn and so if you do that because then you collect the data then you know you'll you'll know what to put in your group for your members and I always recommend asking for email address too Uh for your list that way also I like that. So you can say things like, what's uh, something you're hoping to get out of this group? Or what's your current biggest challenge? Or what are you struggling with the most in your business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, depending on what your niche is, you can make it a specific, you know. And capturing their email address then, this is good because we have the ability to communicate with them on two channels, inside the group and on our email list. What do you recommend as a strategy there? Should we be reposting stuff or how can we kind of use that? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I have done that. Like I've taken my posts and then sent them as emails because they don't always see it in the, Mm -hmm. in the group. So yeah, it's a good strategy to to do both or like even do a highlight of the week post. Like, oh here, this is what you missed. I really liked that from one group that I was a part of. They did weekly roundups and it was for everything, not just for the group. It was, you know, here's the new trainings that are out or here's the live calls that are coming up or whatever. But then they also took screenshots of some of the posts and they would feature maybe here's a really epic share or here's a question that so-and-so has asked. Like, if you know the answer, click here. So it was a really cool way, I thought, to drive more activity back into the group from those who aren't monitoring it necessarily all the time, but they get that roundup and they jump into the stuff that appeals to them. That's a really good idea. It's a little bit of work though, when you're trying to be the visionary business owner doing all of the Mm -hmm. other things. So this is where someone like you comes in. Tell me exactly how a community manager fits into the business. How do you find one? What are they good for? So the community managers and their you know, basically for the business owner as their voice and keeping in with the culture. And it could, you know, depending on what kind of group it is. So if it's for like a larger brand, then you're in there as, you know, like kind of the face and the voice of the brand helping with customer support or getting them to customer support and keeping spam out or the self-promotion or the different mm-hmm. things and stuff like that that go on that can be a pain to a business owner that just does not have time for that at all. Yeah, it can almost feel like it, it makes it not worth the group. It's like so much extra work. And yeah. unless they're using it well as a lead gen mechanism, like yes. you said, or something to retain and upsell their customers, it's just exactly. a time suck and attention suck <laughs> unless they can afford the help. Or I suppose, yeah, make sure that there's that return on investment of the time they're putting into the group. Are we turning that into attention on your offers or money in your bank or whatever it needs to be. And is that community manager serving your members as much as you, Uh and and you know, your customers as much as you would too. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds then like it's important to have a community manager whose values would align with that of the group, or at least someone who fits in well with the group culture, like you mentioned. Yeah. 
Can you give me some tips on how to find a community manager who would be a good fit for a given business, especially perhaps in sensitive content spaces where maybe that you're already down to a smaller pool of people? I see people using like Indeed. Uh-huh. VA groups. I have seen people hire, you know, like within the community or other coaches and then, you know, share their community and everything. What else have I seen? I see sometimes you get the natural, the longest standing customers who feel a sense of loyalty already. They, they can sometimes organically take on some of the role of helping new members and things like that. If you find someone in your business or in your community who's sort of showing that potential, how would you recommend a business owner train them or get them up to speed with all the ins and outs of running a online community? I've actually thought about starting a group as far as that goes, community managers, helping them learn, and then also using as a resource for people to come in looking for, you know, community managers with it. I've actually had people reach out to me asking, okay, how do I find jobs and stuff like that? Because it's not, I mean, it's not everyone really understands the, the ins and outs of how, you know, a group should be either in the background or... Yeah. You know, and even content too, you know, you have to be able to understand if you're, if your community manager is doing your content, they have to be able to understand uh, the voice and how, you know, you write or talk too. So it's not as easy as just deleting the spammy posts. No, it really isn't. (laughs) Well, if you do start that, let me know. That sounds like a very useful resource. I think my listeners would be very keen to jump on in and see who's in the pool. Before I let you go today, I'm going to ask one or two more questions. You mentioned earlier that you can go into the insights and you might not be doing as poorly as you think. I think often the challenge as well is even knowing within what range you should expect to be with growth, with engagement, also with how many of your group members become actual customers or turn into sales. What, What are the benchmarks? How does someone know if they're doing a good job? The one thing about the metrics really is they're, they are variable for different groups of different niches. To give you an example, if you have like the neighborhood groups or the big hobby groups, the, the engagement in those groups could be like 80, 90%. And then we could have a group like Jasper group where you have the users in there for the software and that could be anywhere to 40 to 50% engagement. Mm -hmm. Just because either some aren't customers right now or, you know, just, it just kind of depends. I think you have more lurkers in in software groups too. Definitely. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing then is it's not, it isn't about a number. It's about the perceived value and actual value of the people in the group to you. Like how valuable is it to you as a business owner to have a direct channel with people where you can help resolve objections, nurture trust and everything else. Um, And I think as far as, I think as far as like, you know, making a goal for yourself. Okay. This is how many sales I want to get out of my group, you know, this month or this week. And measure it that way is that something a community manager could help you do set some realistic goals yeah yep for sure amazing well becky you have been very very helpful thank you so much for your time where can people find you if they would like to read read and learn some more about communities and running successful groups 
Then you can find me on Facebook, the Becky Samuels. You can find my profile and then find my group link there. I have a freebie. It's <laughs> groupgrowthfreebie.com. Okay. And if they're looking for a community manager, they can reach out to me. Fantastic. Thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you. Come again, I'm again. Podcast by Radio Gina. Thank you.